Welcome to the Self-Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at Self-Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. How you doing? If you're visiting, my name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are a kid uh, sitting in the audience, uh, I will do my best not to be boring. I'm joking. I'm definitely going to be boring to you. (laughs) But that's fine. You can sleep. My kids would. So we're in this series on directions. We're talking about what it is in the midst of change to look backwards. Uh, And then we talked about looking upwards last week. It's this idea that change can come out of nowhere. Uh, Every one of you have been through change this year. Some of you were expecting to be in school, and you aren't in the normal way. Some of you were expecting to not be working from home. Some of you were expecting like everything to be just as normal, and then it isn't. We've been through the election cycle, all those kind of things, and, and then we're like, well, is that even normal anymore? All of us experience change in different ways. And when we experience change, man, it can hit us like a train. The train that we just talked about boarding, it feels like we got it straight in the chest at times, especially when we experience things like grief. Maybe some of you have lost someone this year. Maybe some of you are walking through grief right now. And man, that is tough. And that can take ages to process. So we spent one week taking that very seriously and saying sometimes lament, this kind of crying out to God is exactly the right thing to do. And then in the midst of that, hopefully, we have this space to look upwards. But upwards, we weren't really talking so much about about looking up specifically, but looking Godwards, realizing that God has something to say into the situation that we're dealing with. So we took this question, what happens when we encounter change? And then we started to to ask this one in week two. How do we allow change to lead us into an experience of God? How do we allow the change we experience to lead us into an experience of God? And, And I would twist that question a little bit this week. And I would phrase it like this. How do we allow an experience of God to lead us into next steps? Now, if you're in a process of grief because you lost someone, you may not be ready for next steps for years, and that is fine. Sitting with God in that season and say, I just don't know what forward looks like is okay. But for organizations, for a group of people like us that are experiencing the change of having a new pastor, of all those kind of things, at some point, there has to be this move to a forward direction. And that's what we're going to process today. And I'll start with a confession. I have no clue where South is going. Actually, that's a bit of an exaggeration. I have some clue about where South is going, but I certainly don't know all the directions that this community of God is called to follow. We are on a journey together and we get to invite people along, but but in actual fact, that's a day-to-day and week-to-week exploration as we say, God, well, what do you have for us? But how do we as a group of people that took a week to have presence to say, God, we are waiting for you, How do we allow that to lead us into some next steps? How do we begin to ask, what does God have for us? And so a few things as we sort of build this to start with. I think that week of presence, that week of asking God, what what do you have? It, It ends with this specific, ask what is next. Ask what is next, and then expect. Ask what is next, and expect. Expect that the God that you've heard from will actually do what he said he would do. When you have a step of obedience, expect that the rewards of that will actually follow through. For those of you that are experiencing change in different ways, in individual ways, ask 
what is next? For those of you who are uncertain about college choices, ask, what is next? For those of you that are uncertain about how your business is going to grow into the future, ask, what is next? For those of you processing a job change, ask, what is next? For those of you thinking about getting married, ask, what is next? For those of you that are struggling with parenting and how exactly that works, and, and I heard someone say once that, you know, at some point I had zero kids and six theories of parenting, and now I have six kids and zero theories of parenting. Uh, it's exactly the same running a church, by the way. But there's this sense of, like, ask what is next. If you don't ask, how can you get an answer? As people, we're so uh, keen sometimes to just rush ahead and just do. I hate sitting still. I'm an Enneagram 7. You can see by the way I stand at the front of the church and worship, by the way that I preach. I've always got some kind of movement going on. And if that's irritating to you, I'm really sorry. There's nothing I can do about it. I've tried. But if you, the tendency for me is to run, to just move. And yet that pause to ask what is next is so key. But then to expect we're going to continue with this community that we've been walking with, this Joshua community. If you're new to the Bible, this book, Joshua, is the sixth book of the Old Testament. And it follows this community that have lost their beloved leader. Moses has been, the text will actually say things like, there was never a guy like Moses. Man, what a hard thing to have to follow. What a tough thing for this guy, Joshua, to come like, into the situation and say, well, now I'm going to lead this community forward, but there's never been a guy like Moses and we're going to watch as, as he does those very two things we've just outlined. He asks what's next. They take this moment that we looked at in the first couple of weeks to pause. They wait this side of the river. The, they have this big river in front of them before this land that they've been promised. And they just wait. And then God says, go. Here's the text. Joshua chapter 3. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And, and when we talk about the Jordan in flood season, this is what we're talking about. I'm not convinced that you guys that grew up in the Denver area really understand rivers or lakes. You don't really have that many of them here. Someone once said that lake in Denver was spelled P-O-N-D uh, because <laughs> lakes are, are non-existent. But this is like a real river. This is like this raging torrent. And this is what they're expected to cross. And God says, go across it. It's going to be fine. But how easy is it to expect in that moment for him to do what he promised he would do? And yet this community of people, they confidently walk down to the river. And it says that the first moment that the priests put their foot into the water, it stopped. It built back up way upstream. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant and of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry land. I want you to just embrace for a second the tension of that moment. This group of people walked down towards the river. It says that they crossed over in front of Jericho. That means that Jericho is there, this big city, this fortress. And let me just say, as we get into some of this text, you're going to see like some stuff that might make you uncomfortable if you're new to church, if you're, if you're old to church. There's a level of violence that seems more Game of Thrones than something we might expect in a religious text. It's tough to read. And, and they'll go eventually and they'll sack this city, Jericho. 
And it's like, we'll have to process that a little bit together. But this city right now is waiting there. It's like nothing that they've ever seen. They've had some victories. They've won some battles. But they've not seen anything like Jericho. And they cross over in front of this city. So everybody, imagine this, everyone watching them from the towers, from the windows, uh, from the places you shoot the arrows from. And there's just this moment of them putting their first foot into the water. And there has to be this question. What if we look ridiculous? What if we just get washed away by the water? They've got this old story where, where God parted the Red Sea. You might remember it from, from Sunday school. But, but what if it doesn't work again? That was 40 years ago. What if the God who had some power back in Egypt and in this wilderness doesn't work for us now? And they have to make this first step and expect that this God that told them to go will be faithful to them. Ask what's next and expect, and then reflect. Ask what's next, then expect, and expect, then reflect. When God does what he promised you that he would do, take this moment to say, wow, that actually worked. You were faithful to what you said. You led me in this direction. I felt called to do this, and when I did it, you were good. You were faithful. This is what this community does. Watch this wonderful moment. In the midst of crossing this incredible torrent of a river, while the land is dry, Joshua says to the people, I want you to grab a stone to represent each tribe. Now, for me personally, if I'm crossing a river that miraculously dried up out of nowhere, I just want to get across. I'm like, let me get to the other side, and we can celebrate there. I don't want to be pausing around to pick out my favorite type of rock. I'm not looking for different hues. I just, I don't want to carry rocks across rivers that have miraculously stopped. And yet, these people do, and the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan. The Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. The only way to read that text, as far as I'm concerned, is this. The people crossed over, got to the other side, and then Joshua said to 12 of them, go back into the middle and get a stone. Just continue to prove that God is faithful. They had all crossed over, 12 of them go back, and then this is what they do with those stones. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one for each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. They gathered from where they were, from the middle of the river, 12 stones. And what they did is they would have taken them and they would have built them into this really rough altar. We tend to think about altars as being these really pretty things. Maybe you've got a picture of what it looked like and maybe in different places it was, but this was just 12 stones gathered together. They weren't worried about the shape. What these stones were supposed to do was remind them that in the midst of their step of obedience, God had been faithful when they had acted in obedience. God had done what he had promised. They had asked what is next, and then they had expected God to do what he said he would do. And the other side of the Jordan, for years and years, stood a pile of rocks that said one thing to every one of their descendants. 
when you ask God for something and he answers and you obey, he will do what he said he will do. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Ask what's next and expect and then reflect. Take this moment to say, God, thank you. You did what you promised you would do. So a question for you. What stops us taking next steps? Yes, we talked about how you do take next steps, but what is it in your life and my life that stops us doing that? So, some thoughts. First one, it's the mind. The mind or getting lost in it. Overthinking it. Assuming that human wisdom will be the answer to everything. Let's take a look at this Jericho story. As I said, this people cross the river... This city, this castle, this fortress is in front of them. And then they go and attack it. But they go and attack it in the weirdest way you could possibly imagine. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Can you imagine what it would be like to be one of Joshua's generals in that situation, receiving that battle plan? Okay, so we're going to go to the city. Yes, okay, I've got that step. We move towards the city. We send all our army in, yeah, and then we do what? We siege it. We use big sort of machines to throw rocks at it. No, no, no. We just walk around it, and we keep walking around it, and we do that every day for a while, and then after walking around it and nothing happening for seven days, we'll walk around it on the seventh day, and all the stones, the rocks, the buildings, they'll all collapse if you're a general, how do you accept that plan? That seems like no plan that I've ever heard of. It doesn't have any credibility. And yet these people are slowly starting to learn. Uh, actually, God has done what he said he would do in the past. Maybe, just maybe, he'll do it again. Joshua has learned this principle. Sometimes the situation can say no, but God will say go. And sometimes the situation would say go, and God will say no. And the difference there is the most important thing for next steps. Simply looking at the situation in human eyes does not give you or me all of the framework that we need. We need something bigger. And Joshua has learned the hard way that actually sometimes the situation looks great and the people have gone into battle and it's been a disaster because God had said no. This isn't the right time. Check out this passage from Numbers chapter 14 if you're following texts. Early the next morning, they sat out for the highest point in the hill country saying, now we are ready to go up to the land that the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. 
But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies because you have turned away from the Lord. He will not be with you and you will fall by the sword. This was a situation these people were confident we can handle. This hill tribe were fine. It's nothing like Jericho would be in the future. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up towards the highest point in the hill country. Though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites, these two other tribes, who lived in that hill country, came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. Two different situations. One that looks great, and God says, don't go. Don't do it. One where the situation looks terrible, and God says, go, and everything works out great. What would it look like for you and I to apply that in our life? What would it look like for that to impact our business decisions? What would it look like? I'm not saying just throw caution to the wind, but if you sit and you say to God, I really want to know what is next, and you feel like he answers, what would it look like for it to be more than just human wisdom that led you to that decision? I don't know how many of you guys have been around at South for years. One of the things I love to do when I come, become part of a community is just ask some people some of the old stories. How is this community shaped? How is it wired? Like, why is it the way that it is? So I think we've got a few people. Anyone want to throw up a hand? Have you been at South for more than 10 years? Anyone? 10-year people? We've got some 10-year people in the back. How about some 15-year people? Any 15 years? Yes. Tom at the front is like, yeah, I've been here. Any 20-year people out there? We got some 20 years, any 30-year people? There's a couple, yeah, I see you, Carolyn. Adele, I see you, 40, yeah, 40 years, 40 years. There's there's some people, yeah, I love it, 50 years, anyone 50? Yeah, okay, Carolyn, we got you at the back. (laughs) There's some people that have been around here for a chunk of time, and yet there's some of us, like me, that were new. Maybe even some of you that have been here one, two years. And so uh, as I was preparing forward, I sat down with Carolyn and with Dell. Some of you know Dell. And I said to them, like, I would, I would love to know, like, how does the forward movement for South affect some of the backwards stories? And you have to know, if you join this community, you joined a weird community of faith. <laughs> we meet in a strip mall. We don't even have a real church building like in the normal sense. We meet in a building that was a safe way. This community is the community. This was the bunch of like, of, I'm going to use the word in a good way, weirdos, because I consider myself one as well, that that moved out of a denomination. And when the denomination said, well, if you, you know, you leave, we're going to take your building and your bank accounts. This is the community that said, fine, we don't need the building. We don't need the bank accounts. When I asked Dell how he came to be a part of South, he said to me this, and I asked if I could quote him, it's official. He said, uh, he said, well, I was reading in, I think it was Christianity Today, how the church had been kicked out of its denomination. So I turned to my wife and said, that church must be doing something right. We need to go there. And that's how we arrived here. This is the community that has taken those ridiculous steps of faith. Who gives up a beautiful building over a principle? And yet, this is a community that learned that when God said, go, sometimes it could look like no, and God would say, go. And so, they did. That is who you joined. And and then the question becomes like, well, well, is it still that community? Are we still a community that wants to take brave, ridiculous-looking decisions? 
Decisions that on the surface that don't make sense. Are we still willing to take brave steps when we feel like the situation looks like no, but we feel this pull of the Spirit that says, well, God is saying go. Are we still willing to turn down great-looking opportunities because we feel like God says, no, this isn't the right time for that? Figuring out whether an organization changes over time is this fascinating thing. There's this beautiful philosophical problem called Theseus's boat. Imagine Theseus, this great hero of old, sails his boat around the ocean, around the world. And during the course of the year, he has to replace every single part of that boat. Just, you know, wears out. And when he gets back to port after this year, is it still the same boat? Maybe some of you would feel like, oh yeah, well, it's still the same boat. Like, you know, it might have changed the parts, but it's the same basic ship. Other people might say, no, it's not the same anymore. As South has changed out different parts, as we have less and less people that remember the old days, the question becomes for us, are we still that same community? And do we still want to be? Are we willing to chase after those values even when they feel uncomfortable? Because I'm sure that there were people that said, I'm uncomfortable letting go of a building. I'm uncomfortable being nomadic. I'm uncomfortable having to meet in a school. I'm uncomfortable parking in a field in a foot of snow because there's not enough room for us to park in the parking lot. Those different decisions that this community has made, some of them must have felt uncomfortable. And there's times if we chase that vision for God's community that you might feel uncomfortable. And yet, I'm not sure human wisdom always gives us what we need. Even the greats have been fooled by human wisdom. This is Steve Jobs on a Segway. He was one of the first investors to be given a chance to like look at a Segway and explore it, and he was convinced Segways would change the world. He said this, the Segway will be to walking what the car was to the horse and carriage. It would destroy, you wouldn't walk anywhere. You right now should all be on Segways. I don't know what you did with your Segways, but they're not here. I don't see them in front of me. But you should be, according to Steve Jobs, in all of his wisdom, be coming to the building on a Segway now, pulling it out of your car, lifting it out and, you know, doing your thing. And yet you're not, because he was wrong. He looked at it from this human wisdom. He just like, it didn't work. And it will not work every time. And we as a church community and you as a follower of Jesus, I as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to listen to this wisdom that is beyond human beings. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. There's this idea that, well, actually, no, it's, it's not just about human wisdom. We have to be listeners. We have to ask what is next and expect and then reflect. Another thing that maybe gets you caught up is this, is, is the past. Maybe there's this tendency to say, not just that I want to honor the past, but I, I, like, I just wish we could go back to it. Oh, it was so good in the old days. Things were different then. If only we could capture that. And that isn't always as helpful as you might think. Yes, there's ways to pull back some of the old thing. We just talked about that. But actually, just wishing you could go back very rarely works. We looked at this quote in week one. This is Soren Kierkegaard, the 19th century philosopher. Life must be lived forwards, but understood backwards. Sometimes wonder whether we wish we could flip that quote. Sometimes think that we'd like to kind of like live backwards and understand forwards. We want to know every single decision before we move. We want to know every outcome before we move. And sometimes we want to live just heading backwards. 
We want to live back into the past because it's safer there. The mind can stop us figuring out what God has for us, but also the past can stop us. God has new things for South. God has new things for you. You are on a journey, and journeys go forwards. They're moving. And then another one, the rush. The rush or getting caught up in it. One of the most important things that you see for this Joshua community is the power of taking a first step. It's not about the whole journey in front of them. They don't know where they're going. I just said that about South at the beginning. I don't know all the places that God is calling South to go. Joshua did not know all of the places and all of the costs that would come up with this expedition, this exploration, this moving into this promised land. He knows Jericho's in front of them. And then there's other stuff in the future. But right now, his focus is on, well, what is the first thing to do? What is that one next step that I can take? And sometimes we can become so obsessed with knowing everything about the future that, that actually that first step becomes harder and harder to take. This is this wonderful story that Pastor Amy talked about during the kids' moment. This is Jesus and Peter and this incredible moment out on the Sea of Galilee. This moment that has never been replicated and probably never will be, but who knows? Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already in considerable distance, a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified as you would be. That is a reasonable response. It is, it is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. I love Peter. Like what an absurdly ridiculous question. What a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Audacious question. If it's you, well, tell me I can do the same thing you're doing. They've already started to grasp the fact that, well, Jesus has this thing, he's, there's something about him. They're not quite sure all the time, but they're just aware that he's different. And nobody else is walking on water. And out of all the disciples in the boat, the 12 of them that are sitting there, only one of them thinks that it's appropriate to say, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Peter, as we'll read in other parts of the, the Gospels, is, he has some issues. Like sometimes his tendency to ask these kind of questions or make these kind of suggestions or, or make these steps will get him into trouble. And yet they also take him into incredible joys as well because Jesus unbelievably says, it's okay, come. And then there's the moment I can wonder whether Peter regrets that question at some point. Because it's one thing to say it, and then there's the moment where he has to lift his leg over the side of the boat. And for the first time in human history, for a, a completely mortal being, he'll put his foot in the water, and he won't sink. I've always been intrigued as to just exactly how it worked. Did he go down to like his ankles? Did he go down to his knees? Did his, water, you know, his feet sort of float on the surface? But whatever happens, he puts his feet into the water and he doesn't sink. And yet that first step 
must have been the hardest step. It's not about the rest of it. It's about that first willingness to sort of step into the future, step into the next thing. This is a picture of Crystal Lake up in Michigan. Some friends of ours have this beautiful lake house up there, which they let us borrow occasionally. And the water is crystal clear, as you would imagine, in a lake called Crystal Lake. Seems to go with the name. Uh, it would be very bad if the lake was murky when you got there. And you can see for the first hundred yards out, every single stone you can watch as the water ripples. And then as you get further out, there's this moment about a hundred yards out from the surface where suddenly it drops away. That bit where you can see where it's dark blue, it goes from about 12 feet deep to 170 feet deep. And so when we were staying there, they call it going out into the blue. And I took a, a paddleboard out there. And I grew up surfing. You know, I never thought about how, many, how, how deep the water was underneath me. Never really occurred to me. I was never really worried about sharks and all those kind of things. I just assumed everything would be fine. And then going out on Crystal Lake on this paddleboard, as I slowly got to this part where it just suddenly drops down deep, 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 I suddenly got incredibly nervous. I kind of like hovered at the edge of the light blue part. And then I was thinking about turning back and I thought, you know what, no, I'm never gonna forgive myself if I turn back. And, and mentally, I knew there was nothing down there. It's a freshwater lake. The worst thing there might be is just, you know, a couple of you know, freshwater fish. But inside me, I'm actually really nervous. And I made myself cross over this sort of vague line there to go into the deep blue part because I didn't want to go back and say I hadn't done it. I wonder if that's Peter's moment a little bit, that moment where he's like, I've asked now. The opportunity's in front of me and I can't go back, but he must have been nervous. But he makes this decision, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to take that next step. And that next step changes everything. And next, next steps begin. They begin with first steps. They begin with first steps. One of the interesting things, like psychologically, is this. Uh, when you decide that you want to go to the gym, the number one thing that will change whether you go or not is whether you put your shoes on. It's whether you put your shoes on. Putting shoes on is that first step that changes all of your next steps. If you don't put them on, you're probably not going. Once they're on your feet, you're probably not taking them off until you've been. Think about that application just for us and next steps. There's something that we're called to do that will lead us into the future. There's something that makes that future more likely. And figuring out what that is for South and what that is for you and I individually in our personal lives, that's part of the key. First steps are what lead to next steps. This is Elizabeth Elliot. She was the wife of a missionary called Jim Elliot in South America. They had engaged with a tribe through an airplane that dropped some leaflets down to them. This tribe had never been reached by Jesus' people before. So they started to feel like the tribe might be friendly and might be willing to have a visit. And so four guys went in a plane and landed with some gifts to meet the tribe. And the tribe, or leaders, killed all four of them. They all died. And Elizabeth Elliot and the other wives were left with this decision. What do we do? Do we just go back home? And they decided that the love of Jesus was so compelling to them, the Jesus narrative was so compelling to them, that they were going to continue to reach this tribe of people. And when the tribal leaders found that the wives of the people they had killed had still come to reach them with this message, well, somehow that changed everything. These leaders, these, these women began to work with these tribal leaders, and, and loads of them came to know Jesus for themselves. 
But there was this moment for Elizabeth Elliot left with the weight of this missionary thing that they were trying to do, where she said she was just overwhelmed. And so she asked God, well, what am I supposed to do? And the answer she heard was this, just do the next thing. Just do the next thing. Just do the next thing. For us, as we as a community, as we follow Jesus on the journey he has for us, for you as you figure out the journey he has for you in life, what is the next thing? What is the first thing? That's what leads you into the future. A journey is a step as you expect and then reflect and then another step. Expect and reflect. And then another step. Expect and reflect. Expect that as you ask God what is the next thing for us as what is the next thing for you that he will do what he said he will do. Take time to reflect. Take time to be grateful. There's this sort of like psychological thing that happens in our brains. Uh, Bad experiences, people say, are like Velcro. They stick instantly. They just stay with us. You see a clip in a horror movie. My wife is terrified of sharks. I can say this because she's not here. So whenever we go in the ocean, she believes that every shark in like 100 miles is like, ooh, Laura's in the ocean. Here we go. They all come. And yet, that's probably not true, but it stems, I think, from watching these, like, movies about shark attacks and stuff, and if you've seen one, you know that it can just glue in your mind. Negative experiences are like, ah, they're just like Velcro and they stick, and yet positive ones are not like that. Positive ones are like those nasty Teflon pans that were so popular at one time. If you own nasty Teflon pans, feel persecuted, you should go and sell them immediately, they're not good. Um, But they're like these things that things just slip off. Unless you take a certain amount of time, and the estimate is about 15 seconds, to appreciate, to be grateful. The memory just doesn't stay. That's what this is. That's what this thing is. In that song we sang, Fount of Every Blessing, when it says, raise my Ebenezer, that's what this is. It's this Ebenezer. It's this memory. It's this, oh, God came to my aid. He stepped with me. I asked and expected, and he was faithful. That's this memory of like, ah, he was good. He was good. We've looked at a couple of spiritual disciplines to help us sort of process the last couple of weeks. We've looked at the idea of lament and the idea of presence over the last two weeks. I would say that for this week, a good discipline for you, for me, for self, is petition. And we can do that through this psalm. This is Psalm 25. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God my savior and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love for they are from old. Take a picture of it. Find it in your Bible, Psalm 25. Read it every day this week and make it your prayer as you're figuring out what are the next steps for me personally? God, what are you calling me into? What decision am I making? Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Show me your ways. That's what we're asking God for, for each of us. What is your next step? I don't know. But maybe there's something that instantly come to, comes to mind. Maybe there's a decision that you're trying to process, something that you're moving into. But whatever it is, ask what's next and expect then reflect. And for us as a community too, I rephrase some of the language to make it corporate. Show us your ways, Lord. Show south your ways. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. 
For you are God our Savior, and our hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Show us as a community, God, where would you have a step next? What audacious, ridiculous decisions that we've made in the past might inform the ridiculous, audacious decisions that we might make in a future? What uncomfortable steps might you be calling us into that might change everything? Are we the people that still want the answer to that question? What is our next step? As a community of people, we are called to enter into prayer, to enter into asking God, what is next? And expect, then reflect. Over the next two weeks, we're going to ask, what type of community is this? We're going to look inwards, and we're going to look outwards, and we're going to process some of those questions together. But one of the things I've loved about being at South so far is I've already got to see God move. I've already got to see God be faithful. As some of you will, or most of you will know, when uh, I arrived, uh, Larry Boatwright was our executive pastor, wonderful guy, we got him really well, but he felt this call to be somewhere else, and so he moved to California. And there's this moment of like, oh, okay, we don't have an executive pastor anymore. And some great people like Jody stepped up into some of those roles. Uh, I did some of those parts myself, but but I was always in this sense of like, no, we need somebody who has some real, just like some experience, some solid on the ground sort of experience of church, but also knows some of the stuff that we do down here, this strip. And so God was incredibly faithful to us asking what is next and expecting. And now we get to reflect as a community of people together. So I'm going to invite Steve Schroeder to come up on stage with me for a second. Steve uh, is going to just share a little bit of his story. And Steve is now on board with us as an executive pastor. There is a microphone right there for you to grab. So yeah, round of applause for that. And so I got to sit down with Steve. Um, you'd already had, I think you and Tom had had a conversation about, you know, maybe you're helping out in the interim or could that be a permanent thing? But we sat down uh, just for a little while, um, just the two of us, not long after I got here. And, um, but that journey was not just starting there for you, right? There was a little That's bit right. going on that might be helpful for people to know. I've been on a journey with Jesus for so many years, mm -hmm. and I love the church. We were in Kansas. I was a lead pastor there, and after 34 years of being in pastoral ministry, we sensed God nudging us to move to Denver and to buy a business. I've always had a little interest in business, and we bought the Great Harvest Bakery in Greenwood Village. Which is unusual for a pastor, because most of us have no experience with anything <laughs> practical whatsoever, so to run a bakery <laughs> is a, a fairly impressive thing. I'll let that one go. <laughs> we loved running the business. Uh, oh. we, we learned a lot. We grew a lot through that time. We loved the bakery. About January of this year, and we've been attending South for at least three or three and a half years, we sensed it was time to put the business up for sale, and I didn't know what was next, and I kept asking Jesus, what, you know, what's next for me? I don't feel like just sitting around and retiring, uh, and I heard him say, I want you back in the church, and I didn't know where or what that meant, and I was sitting over here that August 16 when Larry was up here surprising us, surprised me with his resignation. And I heard Jesus say, Surprised me too. Just <laughs> this is what I've been preparing you for. And I said, really? And I had never put the dots together that all those years of pastoral ministry and then running a business mm. would actually 
set me up well, to qualify mm. me to be an executive pastor where uh, we've got a budget that's similar to what ours was at, at the bakery. I'm working with a similar size staff. I've been a tenant. I know what it's like to have to mm. pay rent and to work with leases. Uh, I've learned QuickBooks in the last four years. Um, Sorry, what's QuickBooks? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we sold the bakery on September 23rd, the day before you and I had our first mm -hmm. meeting together. And I was just shaking my head like, mm. Jesus, you, you just wove all of this together mm. so perfectly. Yeah. And I had no idea that he was doing that. Mm. So, you know, we got to know each other and you stepped out in faith and said, I think I can trust this guy. Let's hire him. And, um, and it just feels right. Mm -hmm. It feels like the right fit for the right time. So to give some sense to the community of what I felt as we were praying as a group of people, asking God what is next, I had this sense of a few things. Uh, we needed someone who had some real experience running a business, uh, as Steve just alluded to, some people that had actually done the thing which I have not done. I worked on a golf course, but that's maybe not the most practical experience for overseeing coffee shops and early learning centers and things. Um, it was great, but not useful. And then I also had this sense that we have a, a fairly young pastoral team as well. I'm pretty new to some of this stuff. We have a load of great staff in their 30s. We have Dan, who's still rocking it out in his, is it 40s, Dan, 45, something like that. And, um, but I had this sense that, you know, we wanted a, a, someone who had more experience that as we pastor people, some of you in your 60s, 70s would, would have some of that experience as well. Um, I wanted someone who'd been a lead pastor that, that had sat in the seat that I sit in because it is different, that thing about parenting, about the theories. That is true of being a lead pastor as well. You have all these wonderful theories till you do it and then you're like... None of them work. Uh, we just, you know, we just go and listen to what God says. And so when I met Steve and sat down, it was like box after box after box was ticked. It was that thing that we talked about at the start. Ask what's next and expect that God will be good in his promises. And now we get to reflect as a community that God is the God who answers prayer, that South has taken a step. And now the thing is to ask what is the next one? And so I'm delighted that we get to do that Thank together, you. Steve. I'm, I am too. I'll be the old guy on staff. Dan and I. Yeah, that's okay. It's fine with me. You said it. I didn't say it. I just <laughs> I just inferred it. <laughs> so what I'd love to do as we sort of uh, move towards the close of the service, I'm going to ask any elders that are present, we're just going to pray for Steve as he starts this new journey with us. Uh, if you have been an elder in the past and you would like to join us, feel free to come up as well. And I'm going to allow the worship team to get ready to lead us in a closing song. But we're going to pray for uh, Steve together and be thankful together. I was looking for the verse on the butcher, baker, and candlestick maker, but I couldn't find it. Mm, so we have a baker. Um, I'll just begin. Thus says the Lord. This is Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Father, <clears throat> Steve is a man who is humble. He understands his heart, Lord. Uh, you understand his heart. 
and he is contrite in your spirit. And Father, he trembles at your word. He has served you so many years, and you are calling him back uh, into the fold, Lord, if you will, uh, a place where he can serve based on all the experiences that you've given him, Lord. Thank you, Father, for Steve and who he is, who you've created him to be, this journey that you have him on. And Lord, as he serves uh, as our executive pastor, we know, Father, that um, you are with him, that we are with him as well. And Father, we will support him, and we will also um, uh, let him lead, Lord. Thank you for what he brings to the relationship with Alex, uh, a man who has shepherded a body for over 30 years, Lord. Let his wisdom and experience speak into Alex's life and into his uh, ways of, of leading this church. Father, we ask that the elders would also follow and work with, hand in hand with Steve as he, as he leads and guides. And Father, we trust you and you alone. We don't look to our own wisdom, Father. We look to yours. And we know that Steve will as well. And because of that, Lord, I think that we can take the next step. That these next steps will be of you. And when you say, stop, we'll stop. And when it seems right to go forward and you say, no, we'll listen, Lord. Give us a heart to listen, Lord. Give Steve a heart to hear you and to listen, as you already have. We thank you, Father. We ask you to bless him. Lord, we stand in your presence in awe of the stories you're writing. That's self-fellowship and the life of Stephen Penny and the life of us gathered here as a body who love you, Jesus. I thank you, God, for your work. As Tom said, I pray that we can continue to press into you and hear your voice when it seems like, yeah, no. And I pray that we can hear you say, go. God, continue to lead Continue to guide, continue to pour your light and your love into South Fellowship. Thank you, Father, for bringing Steve here and all that he brings, his humble heart. Just in the short time we've met God, what a humble, humble heart. Thank you for the influence and impact he'll have on the staff, on this community, on his family. And God, thank you for the plans you have for Steve. Because you, who began a good work in us, are faithful to complete it. God, you are good. I pray your blessing over Steve. As he jumps on this journey, thank you, God. You are good, and may you and you alone receive all of the glory. Amen. And Lord, I, uh, I'm looking forward to those audacious next steps. And I thank you so much that you have brought Steve here to help us get there. Um, Lord, you've brought him to us at this particular time. And Father, I realize, too, you've brought us to him. Um, we've got things to learn from each other. And I just thank you, Lord, for the body that you have uh, made south. May we step forward into the future, one step at a time, listening to your voice. Um, Lord, when you say go, go. When, we say, when you say no, let us, let us hear that so we can stop. We love you, Father. Take south. Uh, take south. And may we be used by you to minister your love, your kingdom 
into this neighborhood and beyond. Thank you, Father. I pray this in the most amazing, powerful work of Jesus Christ in your name. Amen. 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 If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org slash give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks for listening, South Family. Have a great rest of your day.